You're listening to Veterinary Vertex, a podcast of the AVMA Journals. In this episode, we chat about 18F sodium fluoride, PET, and CT for assessment and management of tarsal pain in horses with our guest, Pablo Espinosa Moore. Basically, Sarah, we're talking about PET CT in horses again, revolutionizing uh, horse medicine for us. So welcome to Veterinary Vertex. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Fortier. I'm joined by Associate Editor Sarah Wright. Today we have Pablo joining us. Pablo, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy clinic schedule to be with us here today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Pablo, we've had a few podcast episodes talking about pet and CT for horses. And as we know, it's a really important topic and we're so happy that you're here today. Can you share with our listeners what they can expect from your JAVMA article? Um, yeah, it's a um, uh, pretty interesting um, article on main findings in uh, different type of horses uh, on the proximal metatarsal and tarsal region, which is um, kind of like a tricky region to evaluate in horses for multiple reasons. So uh, we just report main findings in uh, quarter horses and population of quarter horses, one bloods. And also, if I remember well, I think it was a couple of thoroughbreds, not a lot, but uh, there is some there. Um, and one of the main interests, I, I'm a radiologist uh, working at OVC now, but I'm, I was, I'm also, <laughs> I was going to say was, but I'm still a uh, lameness clinician and, and a surgeon. So the clinical part for me is very, very important. And that's what I try to um to uh, put forward on that paper that, uh, you know, what is the correlation between the abnormal imaging findings with PCT, but how they, they correlate with layman's scores and all that stuff. So personally for me, that's kind of like the, the most interesting part of the paper, even if I like imaging, um, uh, just because we demonstrate some uh, correlation between uh, those uh, and CT grades with, with layman's scores. So it's always important to include that clinical take home. So we really appreciate you emphasizing that in this article. Yeah, 100%. And what are some of the important insights from this article? Uh, I think the main one is um, that uh, there's, there are multiple, but this is kind of like the first paper also that reports where the um, findings or uh, of that region in forces. So so far, nothing has been published on it. And PET-CT is kind of like a pretty novel and unique imaging modality that is becoming like more uh, widely available. But it's still, I think there's like four clinics in North America, maybe the entire world where they have it. And UC Davis is one of them. Actually, it was just the pioneer. Uh, that's what we start um, doing these studies. Uh, start with the distal extremity just because, you know, as you know, 80% of lamenses in horses come from the distal extremity. Uh, and then move on to more proximal regions, including tarsus. So this is the very first paper of this kind of series of articles on PET-CT. This is the very first one on the tarsus and proximal metatarsal region. Um, and one of the, you know, reasons what we do is just to demonstrate that can be done. Um, these horses were anesthetized. Uh, uh, we also describe the protocol that you can use if you want to do a PET-CT under general anesthesia. Um, the timing as well, you know, how long you need to wait uh, between the uh, injection of the tracer and optimal image acquisition. 
so that's kind of like important information, just how you perform that PET CT, and then you can get diagnostic images in clinical cases. So that's one thing uh, we kind of like demonstrate is a valuable imaging option. On top of that, uh, we uh, assess what is the correlation between, as I said before, like PET and CT grades with lameness scores. And uh, you guys know there's like a subjective way to assess lameness, which is the AEP lameness scale, which is kind of like a pretty old, I think it's from the 90s, if I remember well. Um, and it's just basically five grades. So we use that scale uh, to assess lameness, but we also use objective lameness uh, analysis, which is uh, basically the lameness locator. It measures just uh, pelvic acceleration in lame horses. Um, the more, the higher the, you know, the, uh, excursion of the pelvis, the, the more significant the lameness is. So we kind of like, um, you know, correlate those objectives and subjective lameness, uh, values with, uh, with objective data from the PET scan, which is kind of like one of the beauties of PET scan that you can get what we call the standardized object values where you can get like a number of the lesion it takes you what is the uptake within that lesion. Uh, and it's pretty accurate. Uh, so we kind of like correlate those things. Uh, we did it multiple ways. Um, and the reason why we did it in multiple ways is just because like we had like a different types of forces included. Uh, like a portafort has nothing to do with a one blood when it comes to, you know, lesion localization. And so that's why we look at like by broad regions, you tarsocral joint, proximal suspensories, uh, distal tarsal joints. But for example, in quarter horses, we also look at the distal tarsal joints separately and divide them in different regions. So, and, and, you know, these are kind of like different ways or different approaches that we use to, um, uh, try to uh, assess that possible correlation between lameness and, uh, pet findings. The take home from all those things is that, uh, changes, uh, CT and pet scan changes, especially pets are the ones that show the highest experimental correlation. Uh, values uh, with lameness, uh, but uh, CT also. So the changes that are affecting the plantar aspect of the distal tarsal joints, either the DIT, the distal tarsal joint, or the TNT, the tarsal tarsal joint, um, those changes are the ones that tend to have like the highest correlation with the uh, lameness scores, and those are the ones that tend to show highest lameness grades. So it seems that plantar changes is the one that is just kind of like cause more pain, which is kind of like what we care about. You know, ideally in an ideal world, uh, you know, it could be awesome to have like a pain tracer. You know what I mean? Like it's like, oh, you inject this tracer. I'm just going to look where it's pain. And then that's it. It's, I mean, it's very, very difficult slash impossible to do it. So that's what we kind of like do this, these things is to, uh, see what hurts, which is kind of like, again, what, what matters to us the most. Um, um, and that's, uh, I think that's pretty much it. It was also, we did some correlation, which was this, I don't think this is that novel, but we also showed that, uh, resorptive changes on CT, they tend to have the highest standardized uptake values on, uh, PET scan, on sodium fluoride PET scan. Uh, sclerosis tend to be more quiet, uh, when it comes to PET scan. But, um, that's also in the paper, but I think the main two things is that we can do PET CT uh, on horses of the uh, tarsal and proximal intersal region. You get valuable information that can help, uh, you know, with the 
uh, diagnosis of pathology and also uh, making decisions. And then the second one is that these plant changes tend to have higher correlation with malignancy scores. Yeah, I love the idea of the plantar uh, lesions. We don't spend enough time looking back there. We're always looking at dorsal, dorsal medial changes for OA changes in radiographs. So it's really lovely to have basically a biological marker to give us uh, some some more information as you started by saying that lameness is tough. They can't point to where it hurts and and the blocks aren't perfect. And so uh, thank you and everybody that's doing PET-CT to try and put some biology behind it. Pablo, what sparked your research interest in PET-CT and then inspired you to write this article? Um, I always had a strong interest for imaging. That's the reason why I got into a second residency program. I did my surgical residency at Davis. And I worked since the very beginning. I work very closely with Dr. Spria, which is one of the um, radiology professors in, at UC Davis. Uh, I finished the surgical residency and he offered me a fellowship on imaging focus on uh, PET scan. Um, it, at the very beginning, uh, we uh, we used um, different tracer, which is FDG, which is radioactive glucose. And then from there, we moved into thion fluoride. Uh, and we had like very interesting and promising results uh, using those tracers for the distal extremity. So the natural course of action was to use the same technique in different regions um but it was kind of like a combination of interest in imaging having the chance to be part of it it's like extremely unique and then um yeah and then dr spriere offering me that uh, position which is great i'm still grateful for it yeah he's amazing Uh, you spoke earlier uh, when sarah asked you what were some what are the take-home messages but maybe maybe not what was the most um the big take-home, but what really surprised you in your in your findings in this article? Uh, I think the surprising things, and again, maybe just um, just because I I quite focus on clinically relevant things, is that some very uh, severe changes that had like were very 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 quiet on on PET scan. Um, so we had like large cystic lesions on the distal tibia, for example, even I, I think we had a horse with, uh, um, with a cyst, uh, right in the center of the uh, third dorsal bone. Uh, so those cystic lesions with a little bit of peripheral sclerosis were pretty quiet on, uh, on PET scan. So that was one of the main things that surprised me. Uh, I was also very, 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 um, uh, how what's the word um i was not i mean it's not surprised but i was like i got very excited when i saw uh fights on the region of the proximal suspensory that were both active and non-active like meaning active i'm calling them active when they're like they show a lot of uh uptake on uh sodium fluoride and we found like similar sizes and fights on a proximal suspensory region that were completely quiet on scan. so those like discrepancies uh between the same type of lesion, I think that really caught my attention. And that's what that was kind of like another reason to try to, you know, to try farther and and, and put more effort in, in, in figure out that correlation between uh, the imaging findings and, and the pain and lameness. That's fascinating. Do you have any hypotheses for why that may be? Not to take away from your manuscript, because we still want our readers to read it, obviously, but uh, is that a personal I, curiosity? <laughs> yes, I don't know. Like maybe one of the 
things that we don't know on some of those horses, it was uh, what was the because we, for example, when the on future fights, we don't have a lot. We had a lot of border horses, which is great for kind of like if you want to study that like tarsal, small tarsal joints. Uh, but the, we didn't have that many with those NPC fights. Um, so it was very hard slash impossible to make that correlation with lameness for that type of lesion. Uh, one hypothesis could be like, okay, one hurts, the other one doesn't. But again, I just cannot answer that question. And the other potential explanation is like maybe the horse that had like active uh, changes or uh, sodium for a PET scan, maybe that one was kind of like actively training at the time that we performed the scan and the other one had like just maybe had like two months off before we did the uh, PET CT and that's why the same type of patient it's not quite and there is no like um, pulling of the proximal suspension on that in case of Christ, that's why there is no that much uh, uh, activity uh, on activity. So um, yeah, that's just the possible explanation. Again, a limitation for two reasons. Like I said, there's not that many uh, lesions like that in the study. And then the second one is like, we don't know exactly what these horses did before we did the study on product PET scan. Very cool. Thank you for sharing. And as you mentioned, you did not one, but two different residencies. How did your advanced training prepare you to write this article? Oh, um, I think it was very useful uh i mean and again my training was it's just like it seems that my training was perfect for this paper i have i mean i'm a tarsus freak i love the tarsus i love that region i love lameness i love blocking and i love imaging so if you combine all those things <laughs> like i think this paper kind of like comes out somehow um yeah i had done a couple of papers on all the type of pathology focus on the equine tarsus um, and as you guys know, I love imaging. So, yeah, I think having my clinical background helped me in a way that I knew the questions that I wanted to answer. You know what I mean? I, uh, I knew how tough it is and non-specific all the blocks within this region. You know, you can block the deep branch and then just, you know, have like a massive lesion in the tarsicural joint or like on the other way around. You know what I mean? So the blocks within this region is not, they're not, uh, not very specific so um yeah i think it's just um just a compilation of things that i love we might start combining with this paper that's great sounds like it's really the perfect fit now this next set of questions is really important for our listeners the first one is going to be about the veterinarian so what is one piece of information the veterinarian should know before discussing this topic with the client um I think I ha you have to be upfront, like, um, and say what I just said. Like, uh, this is a difficult region to assess, um, and uh, I think you know the client understands that. Like, they might be uh, more open to do uh, advanced imaging, which that city is one of them, uh, and I can help uh, you know answer the question of what's going on. Um, yeah, I think on the equine world we. Usually, I mean, depends on what you are, but tends to, we tend to be a little bit like, oh, you've done an X-ray and an ultrasound, you don't know what's going on. Yeah, of course, like 95% of the times, of course, we don't know what we're dealing with. If you know what you're dealing with, with just an X-ray and ultrasound, I think you might have to <laughs> take a step back and do a little bit of continuing education. 
but uh but yeah the first one is just like i said just recognizing that this is a tricky region and then that's going to help you kind of like open your mind and consider cross-sectional imaging um even with cross-sectional imaging like pet ct sometimes it's hard yeah. thank you and then on the other side of the relationship what is one thing that the client should know about pet and ct for assessment and management of tarsal pain in horses uh I think like maybe a more um, simple message in a way that is like a technology that is now available to them in some places, especially if they are California, Florida, and Kentucky. They can do that. Uh, and there are places there where that's an option. Uh, I'm not saying that this is the only type of imaging modality that there is. Uh, there is like high field MRI, which is extremely uh good and sensitive um so we don't know you know if there is like there are lesions that we will not be able to pick up with pet ct that might be present mri and vice versa so that's another dimension of the study we don't have mri to compare uh, but mri if i put it as another kind of like cross-sectional imaging modality it's also uh like a possibility for this region so yeah you could just uh say that pet ct is an option if not mri and they are complementary. You can do either one. We don't know more so far. Yeah, thank you, Pablo. I think you know PET CT. I, I truly believe is going to revolutionize horse injury, horse lameness. And I love what you just said. Open your mind. Right. It's it's just a game changer. The the, the concept yeah. that a cyst with sclerosis around it is not biologically active is fascinating, and it, it's going to take a whole new education. So thank you. Uh, you, you clearly, to do multiple residencies and live in the OVC, <laughs> have resilience, determination, grit. Uh, where do you think your determination came from? Um, my determination, I think, is um, passion. You know, whenever I um, I start like a research project, I've done multiple research projects. I've done research that I like. I like done research that I don't like. And the ones that I like, like this project, it's just like so straightforward. You want to just keep know, learning more and reading more. So I think it's just passion for, um, for yeah, for what I like doing. Uh, and I just can like do it. Um, <laughs> and uh, I just, got a master's student uh, is going to start with me in the next couple of weeks. And we're just talking about like a new kind of like a um, type of doctor that we can apply. And I told her like, we can do like so many things, but I told her like in my experience, you know, the easiest thing to do is to do what you like. You know what I mean? So we have all these things, but what kind of like motivates you most is something that you like. I mean, it, everything is going to be uh, way easier. So I think, you know, just doing what I like, Makes things very, very easy. Very well said. I was just at a, a conference over in uh, Newmarket at the British Equine Veterinary Association, and the people were talking about those little spikes that you're talking about in the proximal metacarpus and metatarsus, especially the metatarsus. And some people think that the bone then leads to the suspensory problem, that it's the in, uh, in thesis on the bone that starts. So it would be actually, if you have this Doppler, it'd be fascinating to see like, Perhaps the PET CT is hot, for lack of a better word. It goes cold, and now you've got a suspensory problem. Like if you could possibly not, but you need a bunch of warm bloods, <laughs> as you said. The quarter yes. horses don't really get that problem. Hundred <laughs> uh, yeah. percent. That's a great idea. But yeah, it, like 
complementary compl complementation of different imaging modalities i think is I, I think it's also great like because ultrasound like you said it's just like something that more people can do and then so far that it is just like i think four hospitals in north america but yeah that's something that's a great idea yeah fascinating uh, as we wind down we ask a little bit more of a personal question so for you uh the question would be what is the oldest or the most interesting item in your desk drawer um the most interesting is um a draw that my son made where uh i am with him uh and uh there's like a little heart so every time i say it kind of like melts my heart and when it's kind of like 5 p.m and i want to keep doing things i said no <laughs> I have to this here and go uh just because i have to spend time with him yeah so that's the best part just like a drawing from my uh four-year-old that's adorable. Sometimes it is hard to turn off the work brain. There's always so much more you could do, you know, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. No, definitely understand that. Well, thank you so much for being here today with us, Pablo. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. And to our listeners, you can read Pablo's manuscript in print Java and on our journal's website. I'm Sarah Wright with Lisa Fortier. We want to thank each of you for joining us on this episode of the Veterinary Vertex podcast. We love sharing cutting-edge veterinary research with you, and we want to hear from you. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to.